In 1992, an unknown artist won festivalen. He previously had a few hits on the radio during the 80s in Sweden, but his career had never really taken off. Instead, he left the music business as an artist and moved to the French Riviera and much happened in the years before. He stood there as the final winner in 1992, 34 years old in Sweden. He had been a frequent club kid at Studio 54, upset one of the churches in his hometown and been a successful self-employed hairdresser with a degree from New York. He had been openly gay since his teens, but was forced to go back into the closet after the victory. Who is this man, Christe Björkman, who in addition to being a Eurovision nerd with a flair for French chansons, managed to both win and come last in Melodifestivalen, to then more or less control the entire competition for two decades. Praised as a genius, but also accused of nepotism and in 2002, as a commentator of Sweden, he managed to get reported 39 times. Not bad! You listen to Eurovision Legends with your own investigative Miss Marple, Emil Lövström. And me, your local certified weirdo, Marcus Bjerkander. Exactly, and we had so much to talk about. We had to make two episodes. The first part is about his three participation in Melody Festival and Eurovision 1992 as an artist, and a second one with his memories from behind the scenes in Melody Festival and Eurovision with all of his titles during the years 2002 to 2021. Let's go! Welcome to Eurovision Legends and good morning, Christy Björkman. Good morning to you, young man. <laughs> and with us we have my dear friend and colleague, Marcus Björkander. Yeah, you can finally hear me on this podcast. Up until now I've only been working behind the scenes. Marcus, I know that Christy is the closest thing you have to a god, but remember, this is my church, so please don't preach too much to the choir. Yes, Reverend. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> Christer, since you are a true Eurovisioner, just like the two of us, I have prepared some quick questions to warm up with. Is that okay for you? Sure. Name drop three non-Swedish songs from the contest that you really love. L'oiseau et l'enfant, France, 1968. Congratulations and celebrations When I tell everyone that you're in love with 
Joyes. Who should have won Melodifestivalen but didn't? Uh, Salem Al-Fakir. Totally agree. Throughout history, who won Melodifestivalen but shouldn't have? Christy uh, Björkman. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> uh, should I really go there? Uh, I think the answer already said. Anna Bergendahl. It gets really wrong when it's just actually the song that shouldn't have won. Because she's fantastic and she definitely should have won. But that was not the right song. This is my life, my friend. And this is my time to stand. It would have been a lot better if she would have won later on with another of her songs. Which song have you heard the most times during the selection process that finally went through? <laughs> oh, that has to be one from this year, actually. Oh God, what was the title of Jessica's song? Horizon. Yeah. Horizon. Yeah. So Horizon, I've heard so many times. It it must be that one. Lived with us for a long, long time. It's been sent in year after year after year. Best host in the history of Eurovision besides Petra Mede. Or Monsell Miller. Well, you just had to mention the the UK, the lady. Katie Boyle. Boyle. Yeah, Katie Boyle. She's done four. That's remarkable. And she was always very good. But the hosts back then had another role, the way I see it. They were like, they were just presenters. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but, but since the role became something different, something entertaining, I would have to say I cannot find another one that is even close to Petra. Or Mons, for that matter. Who would you have liked to see in Eurovision as a competing artist? And please don't say Madonna. And I will not do that, I promise. Adele, yeah, that would be one. I would have loved to see Robin. For Sweden? Yeah, that would have been great. Worst winner from the Eurovision history? Oh, that's easy. Estonia. Come on, everybody, let's sing along. 2001, yeah. Yeah. Your favorite country in Eurovision nowadays, apart from Sweden? He'll say France. I know it. He'll say France. No, I, I will not. <laughs> uh, well, just counting this year, I, I could, but... No, but if you look at the last five years or even ten years, uh, apart from Sweden, I have to say that I've been extremely impressed with Italy. The work that Nicola did bringing Italy back to the scene and the way that their selection really, really comes out of something that is, in a way, just like Melody Festival and a very, very seriously handled competition where the winner is normally very good. Yeah. Uh, that's been amazing. And and if you look at the collective results of the last 10 years, you can see that apart from our points, which are like remarkably good, they are there and they haven't really been there 
maybe they still miss one year, I think, in the results. But they are they are on our level, which yeah. is fantastic, I must say. Which country do you think should either take a break or step up? Oh, God. Uh, should we go there again? <laughs> um, I don't really know what is wrong with the BBC. It's, it's remarkable how badly they handle this competition. And you don't really need to keep back on that criticism because it's now even in British media. This year, they really, really put the finger on it correctly, saying, we cannot blame anyone. It is not the Brexit. It is not that people don't like us. That's a myth. They send crap. And that is the fault of the BBC. It's not the fault of the, the fans. It's not the fault of, of media. It's not the fault of UK. It's the BBC. For God's sakes, get it right. Or BMG. Well, it could be BMG. But on the other hand, if they don't know what they should be looking for, I mean, if, if, if the input they get is don't take it seriously, I don't know. It's, it, it, in the end, it is the BBC. Because if they had a person who was responsible for this, who were like a little like me, that person would tell BMG, no, that is not good enough on the level we're supposed to be. And I would show them clips of at least 20 songs in the last two, three years that are valid from the competition and say, this is where you have to be. It has to be original. It has to be up to date. It has to an air of, of the year you're in. Yeah. Oh, this makes me really, really fired up. I have to tell you, I mean, yeah. seriously, yeah. seriously. We continue with the quick questions. Uh, big five, good or bad? Uh, well, obviously it's bad for them because I believe that a lot can be done during contest week. I mean, if you have a grower, you know, if you have a song that hasn't really taken off uh, before and it does it with the act, when, yeah. when people actually finally have realized, wow, okay, this has something that I didn't see on the audio. That gives that song such a good opportunity during contest week. We've seen it happen so many times. I mean, and one of the most remarkable ones is Eleni Foreira, who went from like 20th place in the, in the charts to be the favorite during the contest week. So it, so much can happen and they never get that opportunity, which is sad. Yeah. So for their sake, I would say it's altogether bad, but does it bother me? Not really. No, it's like, well, if that's the way they want to have it, that's okay. And then we can discuss the, their, their level of commitment. I mean, as we already talked about UK, uh, Italy obviously is doing very well and for a reason, because they have a contest, a selection contest. Uh, Germany is doing remarkably bad as well. <laughs> they are amazing. They've had, I think in the five years, they had one exception, which was the guy who was in uh, Lisbon. I was born from one love of two hearts. We were three kids and a loving mom. You made this place a home, a shelter from the storm. That was a good one. And the two years before that, they were last. And then they've been like second to last and then last again. Yeah. So they have like either second to last or last 
for four of the five last years. And that must be as difficult as winning, yeah. I'm thinking. Statistically, it must yeah. be almost impossible to manage that. Yeah. And there, the guy who's responsible for that competition is still there. That's even more amazing. Name one song from Eurovision that you absolutely love, that you think that almost nobody else remembers. Oh, well, nobody else except from the country where it comes from, I would say, because, you know, we even if we have our dark moments, we don't ever forget our songs. So it would have to be excluding the country where it comes from. Yeah, I have one from Holland. Iknuk van 1984. Yes. Yeah. Beautiful song. But that didn't work because you knew instantly which one I meant. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but we're Eurovision nerds. <laughs> I know. But that is one you never, you rarely hear talked about anyway. I have at least two friends for whom that song is their personal favorite of all time. Oh, really? I love that song. I think it's so pretty. from my chat with uh, Dolly Deluxe that uh, Netherlands were their favorites to win that year and now we are talking about oh really it. yeah oh really wow okay so that wasn't that such a good choice then it was way <laughs> yeah. too, way too good I think it was okay good last question yeah worst decision in your career and please elaborate okay I would say that that was to put Lorraine in a duel with Anton Hagman I had another choice. I could have put her against the glam band, which would have been a much better choice for Lorien, I should say. And that's that's obviously what I, I at that point wanted to to protect. But do you think the outcome would be different? Well, the thing is what all... Okay, so this is the thing. I never really care about the result in a way because it has to be the result that people want. However, when it comes to the stages before the final, then you want the best for the final, for the show, for the program, and for the possibility of outcomes. So to not have Lorraine in the final. That is just not a good thing for the total, you know. The outcome in the end, no, I don't believe that would have changed. But I would have loved to see the points from the international jury on her. And the same thing goes for Androla. I would have loved to have that queen contest in the end between Charlotte and Carola. I would have loved just the media buzz around that. Yeah. But do I think the outcome would have been differently in the end? Probably not. But I think she would have ruled the international jury. I really do. I think that you don't have to beat yourself up over that one, because I think in both cases, Lorian's statements and Androla 
they were doomed when they reached Andra Hansen because they are too polarizing to be successful in any kind of duel. So anyone who faced exactly. them would have a free ticket to the final. True, because you had anti-votes as well. You have you have the pro-votes and you have the anti-votes. Yeah. So yes. yeah, you're right. You're correct. Well, like most guests of this podcast, you survived the first part, Christer. We've had an extremely <laughs> low casualty rate this far, right, Marcus? Yeah, yeah. The number of guests we've had to bury in the woods have luckily been very limited. So <laughs> far. Well, anyway, the three who died, we're not going to release those episodes anyway. <laughs> We have so many things to ask and discuss, and we have talked with you several times in our Swedish podcast, Slagavännerna, where you have been a frequent yeah. guest through the years. But that doesn't help our listeners abroad, and since your jam-packed autobiography isn't translated to English. Yet. Mm-hmm. Yet, yeah. We will to touch upon as much as possible from your long and impressive career here. And let's start on a positive note. And talk about when you yourself got rejected from Melody Festival in 1985. Yeah, that was traumatic. But isn't it hilarious in retrospect? It is, completely. Uh, but, you know, when you... I have to say that, when you, and you got both know that, because you're not, you're not born in Stockholm, are you? No, I'm from a small city called Dals Ed in Dalsland. Yeah, Yeah, right. So yeah. You that, know I'm from the... What, Semi-small city of Halmstad. Exactly. So we come from fairly small uh, places that really don't give you that much opportunity in terms of, you know, reaching television or, or a record studio as such. Yeah. So, you know, you, you, you truly believe at that point in your life and age that you have one shot and that's it. And if that doesn't work out, it's over. Your life is over you're very dramatic and when my song Våga och Vin as it was called dear god am I happy I didn't enter the Melody Festival with that one <laughs> anyway we we sent that in from the record company I had only made one single before and we got word that it was you know in the running it was close and It just didn't make it in the end. And I was devastated. You know, my life was over. I will be stuck here in this town forever. And I will never, ever do another record. Hey, I was 20, what, 25 or something. And my big dream was gone. So yes, it was devastating. But on the other hand, the song, which is a really shit-kicking song, by the way, made it to the Sandstoppen, which is sort of the charts at the time. Yeah. And it it's it made it to number one. Exactly. Yeah. For seven I think for seven weeks. didn't give up and some years later the famous Swedish artist Thomas Ledin who participated in Eurovision 1980 wrote you a song but it also got rejected yes uh, and that wasn't as traumatic I must say because then at, at that point I, I was older and wiser and I knew 
that, okay, if it doesn't happen this time, it will happen another time. And by the way, I lived in Monaco, so I was having a fairly good time anyway. That occasion opened up for the next one, which was a Swedish pop tour that was created by Thomas Bedin called the Rock Target, yeah. the Rock Train. And I was responsible for his merchandise. I was doing that because I really, really wanted to be in the environment of music during the summer. Yeah. So instead of sitting in Saint-Tropez and just baking my body in sun, <laughs> okay, I made myself useful and traveled around Sweden on a train all summer with uh, Thomas Lidin, Niklas Strömstedt and Lena Philipsson, which was a lot of fun. And one of the nights on the train, and this is something that happens with musicians when they uh, socialize, after a few glasses of beer or wine, there is always someone who brings out a guitar or an instrument and they start playing good songs. Usually musicians start with Stevie Wonder. But the more they drink, the more bluesy and it's introvert. And this is when I wake up. This is when I get really, really crazy and I start singing Schlagers yeah. because I think it should be more happy and simple and party. Don't be so introvert. And then Niklas at some point asked Thomas, who is this guy, you know, who constantly stands on the table and sings schlagers? <laughs> and he explained that, well, that is uh, a nerd and he uh, happens to be also a singer. And we have a project where we try to make, get him into Melody Festival. And so if you're interested, please join. Which he did. And later on that year, uh, at a concert in the Globe Arena that Roxette had, we met backstage and he actually gave me a cassette with three songs on it. And one of them was Imoronera So that's the background. Well, this wasn't the first time one of his songs got rejected. One of the biggest Swedish hits ever, Today and Evergreen, So Marnikort, was actually rejected in the early 80s. I know. Yeah. You see, there's something with Thomas Lidin and uh, the Swedish Melody Festival and Jewelry at that time. Uh, the year before you finally took part in Melody Festivalen, you traveled to Rome to watch Eurovision. And I know that you didn't have any tickets or a hotel room, but you fixed that with some lies and a bit of luck. Please tell us about this. Oh, God. Uh, yeah, I was quite shrewd. Um, you know, we, we were like, okay, we're in Monaco. It's not that far from Rome. Uh, let's go to Eurovision to see Carola. That would be really good. So I called a friend who worked as a DJ on a local radio station called Radio Monte Carlo. And I asked him, do you know if anybody from your station ever goes to the Eurovision? And he said, no, are you crazy? Why would we do that? And I was like, okay, I just wanted to know. And then I started calling Rai and, and I said, I need to talk to whoever is responsible for the Eurovision. And I'm calling from Radio Monte Carlo. And I finally got to the, I guess, the executive producer's secretary. And I, I played the colleague card and I was devastated to her and said, I am so, so deep in shit. I made the worst mistake ever. The president of the Radio Monte Carlo, you know, him and his wife and his deputy, 
are going to the Eurovision and I forgot to send an email confirming that they were coming and I will lose my job and please help me, please help me. And she was like, oh my God, that's really bad. <laughs> okay, uh, you know, it, it's only two days away and, and, and the arena is only, the theater only takes 600 people. It's been full forever. But okay, let me look into it. And I said, oh, I'm so grateful. And then she called, no, she wrote me back a fax. And she, this is back in the days of the fax. And she said, I mean, there might be some cancellations, but I will not know till actually on Saturday. So call me again around noon on Saturday and I'll see what I can do. All right. So we figured out that there was a plane going to Rome at one o'clock from Nice Airport. Yeah. So actually what we did was we packed a, a weekend bag and went to the airport and I, I made the call from the airport. And we said that, well, if she says no, we just go to Saint-Tropez for the weekend. That will be fun anyway. But she said, yes, I fixed it. I have the three tickets. So we take off to Rome. We haven't got a clue where, where we're going to be or anything. We know, we know we have three tickets to pick up at something called City Town or something, it's, which is apparently outside of Rome. So we go out and we see this desk that says Eurovision on it. So we figured, well, let's go there and start elaborating a new lie about something uh, <laughs> to see if they can help us. And, and we stand in line and there's this loud man in front of us. He's, he's really social and he's talking to everyone. And he looks at us and says, oh, where are you from? And we say, well, we're from Sweden. Oh, you have a great song this year. It might be your year. Are you, are you staying? Where are you staying? And we say, well, we have, we have some trouble apparently with our there's something wrong with the booking. So at this point, we actually don't have any rooms. Oh, wow. You know what? I have two extra rooms that we, don't, we won't be using. Uh, you can have those. <laughs> oh, that would be fantastic. And how do, we, how do we sort this, you know, with, oh, never mind, between colleagues. You can have the It's fine. And <laughs> <laughs> we're like, okay. <laughs> So thank you, Luxembourg, for supporting the Swedish fan club with two rooms in 91. Can we please hear the story about the expensive of the party to celebrate the Swedish victory that somehow someone else paid for? Yes, not even Luxembourg paid for that. Someone else paid for that. We, I put everything on a tab and we kept that bar open, I mean, hours longer than they intended, which was, of course... There was a purpose. I mean, really, we had to celebrate. We had won. And I, I just, you know, I was totally sure I had, I can't remember, but I said, say, 13, 12. Yeah. And because that's what was decided I should do. And my colleague and friend, Stefan, he's, he was supposed to pick up the bill. And then on the way to the airport the day after, I said, you know, I asked him, what was the damage? And he said, well, that's really weird. There wasn't a damage. Oh, that's really weird. I put everything on 1312. Oh, well, that explains it. it my room was 1212. <laughs> oh. Oh. Ooh. So that, that was a very, very successful weekend, I yeah. must say. This is very interesting since now you're out of the game and next year we're going to Italy again. So we'll re repeat all these schemes. Uh, no, 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 no. With age and maturing, having a responsible position, you have to be more 
square. You have to, you know. <laughs> to say at least. <laughs> yeah. You know, I've learned a lot being an SVT profile for 20 years. You, you have to stick to the rules. The year after the Swedish singer-songwriter Niklas Strömstedt offered you three songs, as you said here before. Uh, one of them were Imorgon en annan dag. But which were the other songs? Well, one was actually also on my album. Uh, it was called uh, Om du behöver mig, which is sort of a reggae up-tempo tune. Om du It's okay. It's not sensational in any way. I mean, the ballad was the song, no doubt. Yeah. The third song, we don't even have to mention, it has never been released. And it never will be. Was that called uh, Jimmy Jean? Yes, it was. Okay. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Uh, I think that was his attempt to become Melody Festivalish. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. Uh, which was uh, a, not a good attempt. Uh, no, the ballad was absolutely the choice. What did the demo sound like? I mean, Imorgon en annan dag, when you first heard it. Basically, exactly the way it sounds, except for the strings. You know, like a basic pop production, a bit more acoustic, but, but still uh, an arrangement, but no strings. And I think the strings made a whole difference. Uh, for Jansson who made the arrangement for the strings that that lifted that song to a, a completely new level and it made the fake key change to really really lift the song yeah it, it, it's beautiful i think it's and i think it's aged uh, beautifully as well In your book, you say that you were almost broke when you got the chance to participate in Melodifestivalen and didn't have enough money to even buy food. Did your economic situation in any way affect your relationship with the record label? What I mean is, did you do things you didn't want to do because you felt you had to? Obviously, apart from your brief career as a male escort. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that one was short. <laughs> that one was short and not very successful. I asked uh, since you had been openly gay for 15 years before, but your record label bought you a small closet to live in for the next four years. I know. And told you to dial the gayness down. Yeah, it... It wasn't actually the record company. It was some someone else, but it close, close to. Okay. But that was a bit weird, to say the least, to become a closet queen again. And back in those days, that was doable, which was even more weird because today, you know, that that's like done in two minutes on social media. That would have been out. Yeah. And and it was. 
it was just weird. Well, it's 29 years ago, but it sounds like episode 4 from Handmaid's Tale. Or just some new piece of legislation from a certain Eastern European country. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it still is an issue. It, and I would say it is an issue again in some of those countries. Yeah. I mean, it's going backwards. Yeah. But I, I remember thinking that, you know, a lot of people have sort of invested in this and maybe I should just, you know, do this because to take responsible for them. I, I, I really don't know. And it was an instant thing. I mean, it happened. We we did not for one minute believe that I was going to win with that ballot. We were, I mean, I was at that point, you know how we can be as experts. We're like, we're so sure of everything. We have all the answers. So I was like, you know, this is not the type of song that ever wins. It can be the classic second, the ballad that makes an impression and becomes a classic hit. That's the role that this song will have, which is fantastic. And that was sort of the plan. I should get, be one of the five to be, to be able to sing again. Two or three would be the perfect result. I would have lived my dream. I would get the hit song and that would be it. And then we would have a party and celebrate that we actually managed to pull this through. So when I actually won, everybody was like, oh, oh, wow, he, you won. That's crazy. Now we have to make an album. We don't have time for that. We're doing our own albums at the moment. Both both of them were, both Thomas and, and Niklas. And it's like, yeah, well, you know, if, we, if we're going to do it, we have to do it now because this is like fast food. This is like you really have to use the opportunity now. That was my take on it. And I said, if we release this a day after this, you know, that's too late. And so when I won in that moment, I mean, actually going on to stage this is when this whole thing happened and and somebody came up from behind you know and said you know downplay that if you can and it's like oh, oh okay so it was i mean there, it was not something that was sought through or discussed or it, it just happened there and then in that moment yeah and somebody i don't know who made sure that jenny my best friend from France was the first one on stage to, to congratulate me. And it gave the impression that she was actually my girlfriend. So that's how it happened. It, it just, you know, there were some strings pulled, I guess, obviously, but uh, it was not uh, a planned decision. We must talk about your styling. With a three-day stubble, colored lenses for a continental flare, three different shades of the colorful color black, and to top yeah. it off, you stole your hairdo from Julius Caesar himself. Yeah, I did. I did. Were the clothes bought in a shop? Well, all of my friends in Stockholm actually work with stuff like this, you know. So Maria Bailey was my hairdresser and she was the shit hairdresser in Stockholm at that time. So she was like, you know, uh, the whole thing was Mats Friedehel who worked for Veckorevyn as an art director. They, they together worked out this uh, French chanson singer, the look, the sort of deep and moody and you know, it, we had so much fun uh, talking about all that. And it was, yes, it was absolutely three shades of black, which was the in thing at the moment. 
there were small details on the buttons i remember on the shirt uh, that he added on it was the hairdo it was the three-day very short beard that gave it a little rough edge and the brown contact lenses and wow there you had the little french guy so it was it was very planned yes and it worked yeah definitely I know you didn't quite deliver during the rehearsals and the composer Niklas Strömstedt himself wanted to take over if you didn't stop effing it up. Yeah, I mean, I was ex- extremely nervous to a point where it affected my vocal cords. And of course, I during my 20 years in Melody Festival, and I've experienced this a lot of times with other artists. Yeah, I can uh, believe. And, and it, it's... It's just, you know, we all react differently to to that situation. And the worst is when it happens to the ones that where the voice gets affected. So I believe that I was ill, that I oh, I have the worst cold. My I had I can't sing. Uh, I remember Kiki Danielson gave me the recipe to her because she also had a cold and she but I mean, she truly had a cold. Yeah. Uh, so. so she showed me how to you know put honey in the water and you have to do this and lemon and all that and then i think it was the day of the dress first dress rehearsal on friday he actually came up to me and said you know if you don't want to do it i'll do it i am not going to let you go in there and fuck up my song so if you don't shape up i'll take over and that sort of that shook me a bit so do you think he helped you there yes of course he did So in my mind at that point, I only wanted to survive it. It was, you know, I realized all of a sudden that this is way too big for me. I have way too little experience to to do this. It's such a big show. And there's, it's one thing to dream about it when you sit in your little boy room in Borås. <laughs> and it's a totally different thing to stand in front of 2,000 people in, in Circus, Stockholm. Yeah. Uh, and, and actually, to be honest, uh, the first time I sang it, I cannot recall one second of that. I had no idea. I, I really don't know how I survived that. I just, I did it. I can't remember walking on stage i can't remember singing i can't remember walking off stage my my first memories start in the green room that's when i start remembering things and i remember completely the second time around because at that point i had already gotten a confirmation from the audience that i was good enough so that was such a release and relief for me So the second time I enjoyed it, I went out there and I felt so much more secure and I enjoyed it and I had fun. And years later, I spoke to Mikke Sederberg, who's, who's a known radio uh, personality in Sweden. He was, he was on Nor- the Norrköping jury that year. And he said to me that the way that I excelled from the first to the second time actually made the difference because a ballad takes a little longer anyway to catch on. And so he said that I, I was like in the middle on the first run. That's the memories I have of, uh, well, and obviously the last time was no problem, but the second time was fun. I, I, but it's interesting. I really, really don't have 
one second of memory of the first time. The front runner before the show was Pu Beckman, the composer of the Swedish entry Stadi Ljus in 1988. She yeah. competed with, in my opinion, a lovely song titled Långt härifrån. But I think a style in ruined her chances. I mean, she looked like a troll. And that might yeah. have scared away the jury and every child watching. Maybe. Uh, the thing was, she was my favorite too. I really, really think she would pull it off. Yeah. It was, I think it's a great song still. I loved her styling. I thought it was so unSwedish. Yeah, but we are so... hairdressers, you and I, Chris. So of course we loved it because it was so over the top. I know it was fantastic. I thought it was had an international flair or whatever, you yeah, know. Yeah. It was it was Eastern European before they were even in the contest, but yeah. in a good way. Yeah. In a good way. Yeah. I loved that. I loved Pibekma. Yeah. She was so good. Yeah. Oh, So yeah, I, I agree with you. I was I was very sure that she would be number one. By a margin of five points, you won over Peter Jörbach's old girlfriend, Lisette Paulson. Aha, exactly. Who sang the bubblegum pop hit Som om himlen brann. Yeah. Honestly, looking back, do you think that her song would have given Sweden a better result in Eurovision? Probably. It's usually, at, at least at that time point in time uh easier to get a good result with a, a pop song because the swedish sounds a little bit less edgy yeah. uh, and our track record in with swedish ballads isn't amazing so yes i i re- i truly believe that of course You see, that was not meant to be. It was meant to be that that would be the starting for my journey into the Swedish Melody Festival. Exactly. And can you take us back to your memories from the host city, Malmö? It was great. I mean, I was, since I lived in France, to me, it was a journey to another country. And I remember being, I was sitting on the plane uh, from Nice to Copenhagen, thinking that a year ago, I lied myself into the audience and now I'm going back to compete for Sweden. It's, it was like, what happened? How did this happen? And, and then I was greeted uh, fantastically in Malmö. They took me on a little boat over from Copenhagen to Malmö and I was greeted with musicians and people in folklore addresses. And, and of course, the media attention is like triple when you're on, on your home turf because every little countryside newspaper could afford to be there. 
Yeah. So, so it was great. It was a great experience and it was a lot of fun. Do you remember anything special happened behind the scenes? Um, no, not really. I, I re well, I remember that uh, whenever you passed the French dressing room, you could, you could smell <laughs> a very distinct smell. <laughs> but that, that sort of uh, one memory. I remember also being completely fascinated by the Italian artist Mia Martini, mm. uh, who was a huge star. And of course, only to be in the same room as her was like, God, wow. <laughs> she was amazing. What a beautiful song that is. Yeah. And what a voice. Oh, oh, yeah. yeah. Rhapsodia. Fantastic. I do know that you have a funny story that involves the singer from Austria, Tony Vegas. <laughs> oh God, yeah. Oh, my dear friend and colleague Osta Paus will not now not love me at all for bringing this up. <laughs> But the the one thing was that I was happy only to be there. You know, to be honest, to me the competition was like, well, do I care? No. Do I believe I'm going to win? No. Just doing it, that was sort of the whole thing. So we had fun all week. And the only one who was disturbed by this was actually the Swedish head of delegation because she really, really wanted to host and to be the producer of Eurovision. So she was trying to find ways to, to reactivate my competing side. And that was very difficult because, you know, I was like, yeah, yeah, whatever, you know, I'm having fun. So we had fun to the point where the other people who actually had a job to do, they were getting very tired and I wore them out night after night. And one morning, Osa decided that I will for once be on time. I will for once take the, you know, take the right bus and I will do it on time. But That was difficult. So one, this one morning anyway, she goes on to a bus to go to the arena and all of a sudden she sees a cello <laughs> and she's like, oh my God, we don't have a cello, do we? No, we don't. <laughs> oh, no, no, no. I'm on the wrong bus again. And she's sitting next to this guy and she looks up and realizes that she has been very rude, not saying hello. And she's obviously on the wrong bus. So she's like, hi, I'm, I'm Orsa. <laughs> And he's like, and he says, okay, hi, I'm Tony. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, God, well, what are you doing? Well, I'm, I'm the singer. I'm a singer. Oh, okay. So where are you from? I'm from Vienna. Where are you from? From Stockholm. Okay, so who do you compete for? And he says, for Austria. <laughs> he says, oh. How? <laughs> She says, how, how come... How come you sing for Austria if you're from Vienna? And he says, because Vienna is the capital of Austria. <laughs> She's like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> 
and then she moves. She realizes she's so so off. She doesn't have a clue about anything, and she moves to the back of the bus and tries to just disappear. Oh gosh! <laughs> After that, for years and years and years, I always said, whenever I saw one, I said, "How come?" <laughs> It sort of sums up that whole week, I must say. How come? <laughs> the present bookmakers in Sweden, that is, had you as a front runner or at least top three. Yeah, yeah. We were really humbled in Sweden already back then. <laughs> yeah. We all know that that didn't happen. But Christer, if you could decide the top three, who would be there? Well, in my book. Rapsodia is always going to be the best in that competition. That is an amazing performance. Uh, the song is beautiful. She's radiant. It's the by far the best performance that year. Uh, I have to give credit to the composition of the winner. I really truly think it's a good song. Why me? I am not a big fan of Linda Martin. Uh, I think she's too cold in her presence, but I would still have her as second. And then third would probably be Israel. Mm, definitely kill. Yeah, because it's fun, I think. Ireland won with Linda Martin, United Kingdom got second place, and the rising damp from Malta ended third. And second to last was the outcome for you, and you took the yeah. poor result in good spirit. But the yeah. composer, Niklas Dömstedt, was extremely disappointed. Yeah. Why? Um, I don't know. Maybe it has to do with actually the lack of experience from competing in his, with his music and to be judged like that. He's been into sports all his life. And I, I think if you have that competitive mm. spirit very much in you, you take a loss very seriously. Yeah. Uh, I think that wore off very quickly. But in that instant, he just couldn't handle it very well. <laughs> he was, <laughs> yeah, he was upset. But you are uh, also extremely competitive. I mean, I've seen you in action. I, even, yes, even a slight I am. quiz can make you really rallied up. I know. But at this point, I was, first of all, I was, as I said before, I was very, very happy only to be in that position, to be there. Secondly, I do know my Melody Festival and then Eurovision history. So I knew that if not even Tommy Schorb, I can make it with his voice you know, an expression. It's, it is difficult to sing Swedish 
slowly to a foreign audience. You know, it, it doesn't really help you at all. And we were the host country. So I, I wasn't that surprised. However, I don't think it deserved second to last, and I still don't. But you know, with the point system that was at that time, when you only voted for your 10 top songs, and that's been changed since then. Nowadays, the jury have to, they have to grade every song. But back then, if you were, you know, considered 11th or 12th by every country, you ended up with zero points. Yeah, yeah. So it, it's very difficult to say. And I still think that song at least is in the middle somewhere. But that doesn't really matter. That's a technicality. The experience is mine. The memory is mine. And I will forever hold that as a, a fantastic and dear memory in my heart. So it doesn't really matter. However, Niklas later recorded his own version of the song and gave it the title Second to Last in Swedish. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that, that's, that's quite hilarious. It is, it is actually. So that proves that he snapped out of it quite quickly and turned it around to something that he could use. Så länge solen ler Så länge lusten ger och tar Så fort när allt försvinner Imorgon är en This was the last year Yugoslavia participated since they were falling apart at the time. Had you been in charge, would they have participated in 92? Um, how do you mean that? Well, I mean, the, the country Yugoslavia didn't exist at the time. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh, I mean, due to technicalities and to the fact that EBU is also an organization that is not the quickest to come to decisions and to... I mean, I'd rather have them in than not having them at all. It's a process, you know, they have to be not, it's not only the EBU, I mean, it's the United Nations, it's all nations, they have to be approved as official countries. And that's a process that takes a while. So I guess that none of the other smaller entities that came out of Yugoslavia had, had yet been you know, officially approved, I guess. Yeah. So that, I guess that, because already in 93, the first of the new ones appear, don't they? Yeah, Bosnia, Croatia and Slovenia. Exactly, yeah. So I think that whole thing was in, in process and it was just not accepted yet as, as new country. So I guess that was okay. I'd rather have them in than not at all. Don't do it. 
year after you took part in the Swedish pre-selection again with a yes. song written already in 1983 for a christening. Mm-hmm. That sounds like a modern party song. <laughs> yeah, I'm still oh. waiting for the dance remix. Yeah. <laughs> and thanks to DJ Stormby, here it is. That's a really pretty song though. Well, the, the reason for me to do that was that what happened after 92 was that I ended up in like a black hole in my life. You know, I had lived my lifelong dream. I have entered what I've always dreamed of doing. I got to win uh, on my first try, which I then realized was fantastic, but it also meant that you sort of you had done it really yeah, for good yeah. so it took me like all of that fall of 92 to to actually recharge and to to figure out what do i do with this what what can i do what where do i want to go with my life and my career and i was like okay i need to learn the trade if i'm going to stay in this and try to be an artist i have to learn how to be an artist because 3 minutes on television does not do that trick so i started working with a small band and and in swedish i would call it to become a bruks artist which (laughs) i don't i don't even think there is a term for that in english but it means that to be one of those hard-working artists that do a lot of live performances in smaller places and and just working with it you know like under the radar of the media or you know it's 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 another type it's it's learning how to be an entertainer and how to to deal with an audience on a saturday night so i did every small joint there is to do in the coming years and the reason why i entered uh, melody festival and i was totally aware of that obviously there is no way i'm going to get a super result because i i still had that result from the year before you know against me i would say but i wanted to tell that i was still there you may think that i am not here anymore but i am so that's why i did it and i obviously i love the song it's uh it's a beautiful song and i've used it so much i mean i have used that on so many christianings It's, it's been a very very good song for me and and it also showed you know, the audience that, okay, he's still around. That's good. The demo was sung by Susanne Alvengren. Yeah. How different did her demo sound from your finally released version? Well, the thing is that I I really still feel that if she would have done that song, it would have become a classic. Because that song has the potential to become a classic, just like the vackraste, in a sense, for weddings. This could have been the song that was sung on every christening, always. And and I think she would have done that because she, at her sound was really, really popular and she was really popular. However, the reputation of the contest in, back in the days stopped her from doing that, which I think was, I must say, stupid of her because she would have been the talk of that year. So that that's that was a big mistake by her i would say 
Do you and have the she, demo that she sang? Yes, but the problem is, where is it? Maybe you should try her. It's very, very nice. She, she did a beautiful version of it. Yeah, she absolutely did, because I had to dig really hard to obtain that version. And when I found it, I also found the original version sung by the composer himself, Mikael Bolios. was an interesting year, especially if you were a part of the jury since they got fired mid-program. And yeah. for the first time, we had televoting in Sweden. Yeah. And I know that one of your competitors, Monica Silvestrand, saw a list and a piece of paper. Please tell us the story. Well, she came up, we were sitting in the green room and all of a sudden we were waiting for the result and she comes running to me and says, we're in the final, we're in the final. And I said, how do you know that? Because they put up a note backstage for the orchestra to, to know which ones to get prepared for. Oh, wow, that is so good. So I was sitting there waiting for my name to be called and hers got called and I was waiting and then came the fifth one and it wasn't me and I was like, And I looked at her and she looked at me like, oh, this is weird. So we go out to, to the place where she saw this, you know, this written note backstage and it was gone hmm. and it was replaced by another list. So what happened was I tried to, you know, to ask people and nobody gave me an answer. They were like, no, there's no, no but uh, well, Monica here, she saw the list of the five finalists. So apparently something must have happened. And it, it went to the point where on Monday, the day after, I was on After Two with Ulf Elving. Yeah, on the radio. On the radio, yeah. And he had Stem Trevin, who was the producer online. So he said that there had been in the tumultuous aftermath of the firing of the juries, there had been a recount since nobody of the juries was still around because they had, you know, left the building in protest. <laughs> So nobody really knows. But what they said was that it was a miscalculation. It was actually on behalf of... So this is the reason why I believe it, is that the one that was left out was, we are all the winners. And I find it very hard to believe that that would not have made the top five.
So, so that's why I actually accepted the, the, the explanation. And what Ulf Elving said then was that, okay, so for once we, we can with surety say who's number six this year instead of everybody being number six. And then Stan Freeman said, yeah, well, I have to uh, agree on that. Yes, we do have six. So I was number six. Do you think Arving and I would have won if the jury had our say? Yes. There is, I, I don't think there is any way that anything could have beaten Arving and Adahir. That is a classic. That is their, their energy, their appearance, their, the, the whole, I, I still love their act. I think it's really, really good. And uh, I would have been surprised if, what, which one do you think could have made it? Uh, probably we're all the winners, if not Arvingana. But are they a jury song, would you say? Ooh. Yeah, yeah. I believe Ulf Schenkman is from Karlstad would have voted for that song. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Whatever happened was good for the contest. I think Arving and I is the absolute winner that year. Yeah. No doubt. Yeah. Six years later, you participated again. But this time you were out and proud again and sang a song about your love for your boyfriend, who is now your husband. Yes, I did. And the song was titled Välkommen Hem. Yeah. Uh, the choreographer, Hans Marklund, told me that the idea for this performance was pretty good on paper but in his mm. opinion, ended up looking like five nervous guys at a conference for dentists. Yeah. It, it, Do you agree? Yeah, yeah. I, that's one explanation. That's good enough. Um, it's a lovely song. Yeah, it's a lovely song. It, it, no, it didn't come out that good. Vi talade sibyn om en vilsen och en man Som aldrig kunde visa hur de älskade varann Bara vindarna har viskat mer än så Men åren gick och nu får du veta hur det var Att mannen det var du och den andra det var jag Bara vindarna har viskat mer än så Så välkommen hem, har du en varit om natten We also had uh, Meta Bergqvist, who was the producer. She had a really good idea for the song, actually. The only problem was that the whole beginning of the song was on uh, like a bridge. And it looked really, really nice when we rehearsed it. The only problem was that the monitors were on stage and we were very, very far away from the monitors. So I came to a point where I was, you know, getting nervous. I didn't feel comfortable being up there on the bridge so far away from monitors that I really, really couldn't hear the background music good enough. So I, in a very late stage, 
dropped that idea and and wanted to start on stage. So that was partially my fault. It would have looked a lot nicer if we would have started up there. But anyway, it doesn't matter. You know what? That performance was good from the point that it led up to the best moment of my life, which was marrying Martin. And 20 some years later, we're still there. So it was a victory, even though I came last in the competition. I think we need to explain for our younger listeners what a monitor in this case is, because this was yeah. the time before Ineas. <laughs> Nowadays, the artists have their sound in their ears, but in, that, in those days, they had big loudspeakers on stage where they could hear what they were singing and the music that was played. Just a clarification exactly. there. Yes, exactly. And those were like very far away if you're up on a bridge. But no, I agree with him. Uh, it it did it could have come out much better than it did. But that's the way it is. Six progressive points was all the song got, sadly. Um, yeah. How many demos have you sung that were sent to the selection panel, you think? Um, We know that you were offered the, in my opinion, horrible song, Vad är du, in 1996. Yeah, that's one demo with me and Kayo. Yeah. Uh, there were... Uh, oh, God. There was one demo uh, sent in in the early stages before 92 that Kling Forsman wrote the lyrics to is called Circus in Town. Thank God that didn't make it. <laughs> <laughs> and then of course Borga Wien. Then the year after we had one called for 86. I can't remember the title of that one. That was sent in. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. We we sent in in 90 before the 96. I also had a Bobby Jungren and Kling Forsman song Oh, that was a beautiful song. I can't remember the title of that one either. Uh, but that was a, tip, a typical, uh, you know, that, that was sort of the follow-up from Seppo May. Mm. Because uh, Seppo May was intended for, for me, yeah, to, I know. presumably. Yeah. 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 We have heard the story from John Johansson in this podcast. Yeah. So Bobby called me and said, you know, something happened here. I don't think that's going to be, we can't change that. It, it's, it, he just owns that song now. So they wrote me another song for 96. And it was, but in that tradition, you know, one of, one of their big ballads. Yeah. It was beautiful, but it didn't make it. Hmm. I will ask you Bobby Jungen later today. Um, yeah, do that. Yeah. Do that, yeah. And Shalikin today. I think it's called Shalikin, the love for you, Shalikin today. I think that's the title. Shalikin today.
That was the interesting story about how Christer Björkman made a voyage that many of us dream about. To go from being an ordinary Eurovision fan, albeit slightly more sneaky and cunning than most, to actually get to take part in the contest himself. But as you probably know, he didn't stop there. In the next part we will listen to how he went from being an artist to get to run the entire Swedish pre-selection show Melodifestivalen for 20 years and on top of that produce several Eurovisions, not only in Sweden. I assure you that he has some really fascinating stories to tell and the second episode is already out, so go and take a listen. To finish off this part, we'll listen to some more of the brand spanking new dance remix that nobody knew that they wanted until they heard it. Take it away, DJ Stormby. Och inget vi någonsin som för Först nu förstår vi hur vi har väntat Det här är livet vi står inför 